Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 198 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen. This week on the podcast, I had a wonderful conversation with a landscape photographer who currently resides in Montana, Perry Shalat. Perry has been pursuing landscape photography for a long time and has one goal in mind, to become an award-winning landscape photographer. Her pursuit of this goal has taken her to some amazing places and she has found a deep connection with some of those places including Glacier National Park. In 2018, her world was turned upside down when her husband Tom passed away. Since then, she has used landscape photography as a tool to look inwards to help process that grief and shift her thinking. Perry and I discussed some really interesting topics this week, including how she embarked on her journey in landscape photography, how workshops influenced her photography development, loss and creativity in landscape photography, and the grief process, how her photography has benefited from her personal loss, and more. Well, before we get into the conversation, I wanted to take a moment to personally thank one of my best friends in the landscape photography community, Kane Engelbert. Kane befriended me in 2012 after seeing a hideous HDR photo of mine posted in a forum that we both frequented. I guess Kane saw some potential in me as a photographer, and ever since we have slowly become great friends. I owe so much of my success in photography to Kane's friendship, his keen ability to find interesting places on Google Earth, and his tenacity for exploration. If you get a chance, take a moment to look at his photography. I consider it to be world class. Okay. Let's get to the show. All right, Perry Shalat, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Hi, Matt. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, this has been in the works for a very long time, I feel like. <laughs> it has, and I apologize because I think that we can, there is one silver lining to COVID-19, and that is I'm doing your post, your, your podcast. <laughs> Oh, there's so many li- silver linings, but I'm happy for this one to be yours. Yes, I, uh, I'm so I'm always on the move and um, traveling so much, as you know. So COVID nineteen has really put the brakes on that. Sure. What my life, what my life looked like a year ago, well, it doesn't look like that now, um, and I'm very much looking forward to that changing uh, in the next few months. Man, you and me both. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's been it's been tough because I rely on my creative vein and my um, my my connection to nature and that soulful uh, you know thing that I need, and I've not really had that. I mean, I people say to me, "What are you crazy? You live in Montana. Why can't you just walk out your door and breathe in the nature and look around and feel you know better?" There's lots of reasons for that. Um, totally. Yeah, that that I can't uh, that I can't do that. I mean, I have to be pretty pretty cautious. And wherever I go, there's different places I go. Locals don't necessarily want to see um, out of out of state or out of town license plates uh, when they're supposed to be in lockdown. So you know, you just have it. Ha- you have to be thoughtful about where you're going, what you're doing. Tread lightly and be careful. Oh, you mean you're you're mindful about that kind of stuff? Because yeah. <laughs> here, man, it's like everyone from Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona just drives on through every day. <laughs> I No, I am really mindful and respectful about those sorts of things because I know how I feel when I drive down Main Street and I see license plates from every single state. Um, uh, a lot of people uh, came here um, uh, right before winter because they didn't want to get locked down wherever they were. Right. Uh, and many, many hotel, hotels are full. Rental places are full. Uh, there's a big push on rental builds. It's just a big mess everywhere, I think. But, I mean, I understand, and I want to be thoughtful for those people that are, um, you know, in urban settings. And, the, you know, it, they've been hit hard. A lot of people don't have jobs. They can't afford their rent. They've got to go somewhere, uh, you know. Well, so- if You're in Bozeman, are, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah. if those are the reasons why they're here, then, you know, that's what they have to do in in uh, times of, of trouble. It's not great right now for a lot of people. Totally. Well, we don't want to spend the entire time talking about how depressing COVID is. COVID is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, the, the connection I'm making is that it definitely has changed uh, 
um, my photography, what I like to do, how I like to spend my time. And uh, every day hasn't been uh, terribly happy. And I'm sure everybody can sympathize with that. 100%. Yeah. Well, on a happy note, I, I just want to say, um, I, I know I'm speaking for a lot of people that I know personally and have spoken with over the last couple of years that uh, there's a lot of people that highly admire uh, your photography, including myself. And I just wanted to put that out there that uh, you're doing some really great stuff. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. It's a, it's definitely uh, why I get up in the morning. Uh, when I, when I could go places, um, (laughs) I love, I mean, it, it is very important to me. It is a soulful connection. It is a uh, creative, um, connection. It is my artistic self. And, um, I appreciate that very much. I think many, uh, artists out there will say, uh, that we never get tired of, um, hearing people who admire what we do. Uh, I don't know, perhaps we're thin skinned. I'm not sure, but I don't object to it at all. Oh, definitely. Well, it's kind of, I don't know about you. For me, it's kind of this love hate relationship. Like I, I love getting praise, but it also is kind of, I don't know, like embarrassing or I don't know if embarrassing is the right word, but sometimes it's like, I'm not, I'm not worthy of all that praise. Stop it. You know what I mean? Or is it, you know, or is it that you feel needy? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it makes me feel needy. And and so I, as much as I appreciate the compliments uh, and the remarks that are made about it, um, I try not to take it too seriously because I think there is, um, a, it's a very slippery slope of how much you, you know, begin to need. And I don't want to need praise uh, to stand behind my work and to know that uh, what I'm putting out there is my best effort. Sure. But at the same time, I think you're like a lot of photographers and artists where uh, it sure as heck helps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very nice. It's very nice. And I, and I, and I try to be very thoughtful in, in that regard for other artists and photographers. Um, uh, I want to be appreciative of what they're doing and I am, and I want to be complimentary and I, and I learn from what they do Uh I, I don't think that anybody's out there giving it a good try and working hard uh, should be criticized for their um, uh, efforts, uh, even if they don't match up with ours. And if we don't necessarily agree creatively eye to eye, I think everybody's an individual and everybody deserves, you know, respect and um, um, to be recognized for what they're for what they're doing. Yeah, no, well said. And I think part of the challenge is is that oftentimes I've found that uh, both on the delivery and the receiving side of those conversations, it's misconstrued. So like if I say to someone, I really don't like that kind of photography, you know, like whatever it is, and, you know, they take it personally. And I'm not saying like, I your photography is bad. I'm just saying I don't like it. You know, and that's okay. (laughs) That might be a a bit of a bitter pill for me to swallow if you said that to me. I think that you could probably deliver that a little more gently. (laughs) Right. I was just trying to be more to the point in terms of like, oftentimes that's a really uh, touchy thing to say. And I think most of the time people that are saying that don't mean to say you suck. They're just trying to say like, I, it's just not for me. I, I understand. I understand. And some of the stuff I do, I'm sure is not for, for, for everybody. I, I tell you when I was first um, starting out in photography into, well, I've been doing it a couple of decades, but when I really started to do it on a professional level and started to go to photography school in 2004 through 2008, um, uh, when I, the, the one thing that I found the most annoying Back then, now it doesn't bother me uh, because I realize everybody has um, a type when it comes to photography and photographs. They have a type. They like what they like. And some things stand out to them more so than others. I used to hate it when people say, uh, oh, you have a lot of, uh, you have some really nice photographs in that collection. And I'd think to myself, some, well, what's wrong with the others? (laughs) (laughs) And then... (laughs) 
And then someone would say, oh, number three is my favorite. And then I'd say, well, what's wrong with one, two, four, and five? Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> it's so and, funny because it's so true for so many of us. Like, I think we we hear more than what people are actually saying, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's all in our filter, Matt. The filter that we wear on our minds, uh, we perceive things through that and we hear things through that filter. And so what you what you have said to me may not be how I'm perceiving it because because of that filter. And those filters where we, we have on are there for all kinds of different reasons. You know, it could be lack of self-confidence, could be uh, uh, what is that called? Imposter syndrome. When totally <laughs> when when you're sitting there going, they're going to know that I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> right. Right. They're yeah. going to expose me. I'm a fraud. Yeah, no, it's funny because uh, I I, th- I know there's a few listeners who get annoyed when I say this, but uh, I personally uh, I like to just say out say like, oh, my photography is not very good, even though I know my I have some good photography, but I, I say that because I just want to, you know, for me it's almost like a easy defense mechanism. Like, well, if I say all of my photography is not very good, then if somebody says they don't like it, I don't really have to care. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's one way. That's kind of like um, keeping your expectations very low so you won't be disappointed. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a secret to life in general. Well, definitely in the last year, yes. Right, right. That is my go-to, you know. Right, our expectations for everything in life have have just lowered and lowered over COVID, like the quality of television, the quality of movies. I mean, who would have thought that people would love a show like Tiger King, you know, like, it's it's not that good. I'm here to say I've never seen it. And um, you can count on me never to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good for you. (laughs) Uh, It's so funny. Well, so, you know, for people that are super unlucky unlucky to have not been familiarized with your photography, uh, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. And um, I'm really curious to kind of hear about how you even got into photography. I'd love to know like what was happening before that and what forced you to to take that path. Okay. Um, well, I uh, came into photography really early. I mean, I was shooting with uh, the first generations of point and shoots. Um, I was shooting film um, uh, I went to school um, and learned photography from the grassroots up. So I was in the dark room um, and I was using film and I was uh, working with, you know, developers and chemicals and learning the process. Um, I'm not really sure why I, I wanted to start like that, but um, it sort of gave, gave me a well-rounded view of the whole process. Um, and then uh, we went digital. I got my first digital. Um, uh, oh gosh, I got my first digi- digital Nikon. Um, I think it was two thousand. Um, oh gosh, I can't remember when they first came out, Matt. But whenever that was, um, in the early two thousands. Um, right, like the like the D forty or yeah. No, I had the <laughs> even before uh, that. Yeah, I had the F six. Okay. Uh, and uh, barely knew how to use it. Um, and uh, I really, when we went digital, boy, did I love that immediate gratification because that speaks to me. I like immediate gratification in just about every avenue of my life. <laughs> yeah. It's better. So, um, but, you know, because I had used a lot of film uh, and had studied a lot about film, I could really, uh, I could, I could do exposure really well um, in, in field, in camera, um, you know, uh, sometimes with a light meter, but I didn't have to look at an Insta, uh, at a, at a, um, um, I almost said Instagram, at a, at a uh, histogram. And um, I, I wouldn't have to rely on that to know that my exposure was good. Um, and a lot of times I nailed it when I would, uh, you know, develop pictures and stuff. Um, so, you know, fast forward to digital, um, it changed everything. Um, I uh, was living in Charlottesville, Virginia, where um, uh, with my husband, Tom, where and that's where I first started going to school at Mary Baldwin College in Stanton. 
and um, uh, took their arts um, uh, program and, and took every single photo class I could. Uh, and then in 2008, when Tom retired, uh, we went uh, to, we had always wanted to go West. And uh, I have, I'd lived my whole life on the East Coast. I was raised in Connecticut and uh, he and I lived in Charlottesville, Virginia for almost 17 years. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, he was, he was so supportive of my work and he was, he had retired in 2007 and he was like, okay, it's your time. Let's, let's go out West. We've always wanted to, let's go to Missoula, Montana. You've taken two workshops with this school and their curriculum in those workshops were really outstanding. And they really did change me as a photographer from the first workshop I took with them to the second and third. And, um, I decided to take their summer intensive courses, their professional study courses and their intensive, uh, um, course, uh, which took me all summer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's called Rocky mountain school of photography, uh, in Missoula. Okay. And, um, I, I really enjoyed it. It was tough for me because I was one of the oldest students. Um, you know, a lot of people were young. A lot of people were in, um, uh, into conceptual photography and my feet are so, uh, uh firmly planted on the ground. Uh, I didn't really grasp or understand that kind of photography, <laughs> although I have to tell you, it was pretty cool. I mean, you know, I could appreciate it. It was like, wow, you know, I would, I would never have thought of that. Right. That's the kind of stuff that uh, they sell in like fine art galleries. Yeah. Those are the t- that's the type of work that you see in a lot of uh, uh, high end, you know, uh, fine art galleries. You're, you're right. right. Uh, you know, a single bird sitting on a telephone wire, that sort of thing, you know, that evokes all kinds of, oh, and I'm thinking, okay, it's great, but I'm you're like, it's just a bird. Yeah, guys. <laughs> But there, there are some really magnificent fine art photographers that work at that school and that have come out of that school uh, that do this conceptual work. Um, and I've been inspired, uh, actually, by a few of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was a landscape photographer when I went in. Um, and <clears throat> um, I wouldn't say that I came out of school. Sure, I learned a lot. I really did. But I wouldn't say I came out of school uh, uh, you know, raring to go, uh, wanted to go straight to work as a professional landscape photographer and that I was, um, you know, ready to put out my best work. Uh, that, that wasn't the case at all. These are the fundamental learning tools that I learned in the school. And now what I had to do was step out and put those tools to your, to, to you, to good use. And, uh, that's what I did. And I spent the following six years in and out of Glacier National Park, uh, learning, making mistakes, uh, <clears throat> dusting myself off, you know, a thousand times, never wanting to quit, but, you know, pissed a lot of the time if because I couldn't grasp certain things right away. Right. But it was trial and error, uh, over and over trial and error. I never gave up. I am so stubborn. I had a vision for myself. I sat and I studied other photographers relentlessly. I looked at their work day and night. First thing I did in the morning, and I had my favorite photographers that I wanted to emulate. And I, <clears throat> I, wa- I knew that I wanted to have some sort of edge that's, that, that set me apart from everybody else if I could figure out some way to do that. And eventually I did, I sort of became very attached to this 14 by 20, 14 uh, to 24 uh, Nikon lens that I have. And I started doing a lot of close up foregrounds and um, uh, um, sharp depth of field uh, from foreground to background, learning focus stacking and, you know, just doing that sort of thing. And then Right. Get all into atmosphere and chasing atmosphere and, you know, laying in, in, in freezing cold water in the middle of the winter in the Canadian Rockies to get, you know, mountains in snow squalls. And I miss that stuff a lot um, this year. Uh, this is the first year that I won't be going to, going to Canada because, you know, they're not letting us in. I was going to say, because you can't. Yeah. <laughs> It's the first year in almost 10 years that I haven't gone. And I usually go uh, at least three times. So when you, when you, uh, 
when you were taking these courses and then putting putting your skills to the test uh, in Glacier, I'm curious, did you kind of have an end game in mind in terms of what you wanted to do with your photography or was yeah. it just something? No. Oh, go, yeah, go ahead. Totally. Yes, I did. All I really ever wanted to be was an award-winning photographer and a published photographer. Um, I did not, I just, those were the two long-term, long-term goals. Um, and I haven't fully appreciated all of them because you have to be really ambitious and driven to do those things. It's kind of like selling yourself. (laughs) And I think a lot of us, uh, photographers can, uh, um, uh, really sympathize that we're not the greatest marketers of ourselves. You know, no, I think most, most, especially the introverted landscape photographers that, you know, dominate the, the, the field, I think are not the best marketers in general, and they're pretty able to admit it. <laughs> they don't well, like it. I, and I, you know, I'm in a different position than a lot of people, you know, and I don't go around saying this, but, but I, you know, I can work as little as I want or as much as I want. Mm-hmm. And so for me, if I want to go to work, it's because I absolutely love it. And I really don't, it doesn't feel like work. It is an extension of myself as a creative person. Mm-hmm. It, it rocks my world. It when and what you said about an introvert, that couldn't be, it, there couldn't be a better suited uh, thing for an introvert to do, but to pick up a camera and go into the wilds and be left alone completely. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have COVID where you're like right. all the extroverts are coming into the wild and you're like, Hey, get out of here. What you- <laughs> oh gosh, that's so true. It was like every campground was full. Right. I had anxiety all summer. <laughs> Same. Yes. So, uh, um, so I feel like, um, I, I, I use this term all the time. I used it in the last product podcast where I was interviewed, where I say, I forgot where I tied my horse. <laughs> That's what we say when we forget stuff in Montana. We forgot where we tied our horse. Uh, what What did you ask me? Oh, I asked, like, what was when you set out uh, on your journey of photography? Like, did you have an end goal in mind? Okay, so those were the two end goals. And now it has, you know, and, and I, I just want to preface that I wasn't going to do any of those things or those two things in particular until I knew that the work that I was going to present and put out uh, out there for people to see, to have an opinion about, I needed to know that one, I had thin, thick skin, two, I could stand, stand behind my work uh, wholeheartedly and know that it was the very best effort Um, and you know, we don't always, uh, you know, get the very best effort. You know, we, you know, we aren't robots and we are not spitting out, you know, our best image every time we go out and shoot. But, um, I, I don't think we show those images, but I really wanted to be proud of what people were looking at and feel good about it. And that took a lot of years. And there was a lot of year, there were a lot of years where my work sat on hard drives and grew car cobwebs because of it. You know, oh, and I don't, I don't regret it. Um, that's just the way I think I was raised to be, to, to put out your best effort, to be proud of your best effort and know that it was your, you know, that, that it was really your best, um, you know, uh, work. So, uh, you know, once I did that, then I started getting, um, uh, published and I started getting, uh, receiving awards and re- and recognition, which is very, very nice. It really does help you feel like, uh, you know, what you did was worth it and the path that you went was worth it. Um, and for me, it took a lot longer. I'm not sure why, maybe because I, when I was younger, I lacked a little bit of self-confidence that other, other folks don't. Um, but I know one guy in particular that was inspired by me and now I'm inspired by him because he is so good. <laughs> That's so cool. That's and awesome. Flying by me like at warp speed. I'm like, what <laughs> is going on here? I, you know, <laughs> I've had that happen before. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best and the worst at the same time. Yeah. Well, yeah. he is a guy and he is young and he, and, and he, you know, can climb the highest mountain with the heaviest bag, uh, you know, and get a unicorn, you know, with a full moon and a, a under a rainbow, you know, that I'm going to miss while I'm 5,000 feet below him. <laughs> sure. 
Well, so I know you said you took some some int- intensive classes and workshops through the school there in Montana. Did you did you take other workshops along on your journey? I did. Um, I'm a. I take a lot of. I have taken a lot of workshops with Mark Adamus, and um, I uh, we have different styles. I'm not. Um, uh, I, I don't spend a lot of time in Photoshop and stuff like that. Um, I I. I don't care if you do or anybody else does. I have no interest in uh, judging anybody over that. I love his photography, but what I love most about what he does is his heart and his soul. Uh, That is what I believe is um, underlying. Uh, That is what really um, shows you who a particular photographer is and their work embodies those things, a heart and soul and emotions. When you look at a at a photographer's photograph, you could if you if you are enlightened and introspective, you can really tell what they were thinking and what they were after. Uh, you know, beyond the obvious. Oh, they were at you know. Um, uh, oh, I don't know. Um, I don't do deserts. <laughs> there. So what's the you know the desert that everybody goes to? My God, I can't believe the I valley. Can. Yes, thank you. Okay. I've been there once and I hope to never go back. And that is not because, <laughs> because I think it isn't just, you know, desolately beautiful. Um, I just don't like being hot. I don't like being covered in dirt. I, I don't know. It's, it's a whole thing. I'm I can sure, appreciate that. I, yeah. I just, I'm not a big fan of the desert. I much rather photograph in Alpine areas and stuff. Uh, but I mean, you could see, you, you could look at a photograph and go, oh yeah, that's really nice of the salt flats. And that's, you know, they were in the salt flats. Um, but there are some photographers that can really give that photograph heart and soul. And, and there's no mistake in who they are. And there's no mistaking that uh, effort. And I feel like Mark can do that. Uh, you can see his passion for it. You can see his heart and soul. You can see what drives him. And I wanted that. It's like, okay, how do you do that? I want that. And because I happen to be a pretty introspective person and, and uh, an overthinker to my detriment <laughs> and uh, um, very uh, emotionally available, um, um, you know, a lot of those things really, really, I think, show through my work. I have had a lot of people say that uh, they see that and that, that my work is a type, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, I think it's really important. Well, I'm, I'm curious, how did, uh, going on those types of workshops influence your photography? Um, well, I realized that if it didn't hurt, if the effort didn't hurt physically in some way that I probably wasn't pushing myself hard enough. <laughs> uh, so I was in pain a lot. I was burning the candle at both ends a lot. Um, mm-hmm. they're intense. Um, and, uh, I've always liked to push myself. I've always liked to, uh, challenge, uh, and, and sort of see how far I can go learn different techniques. I think the key was when I learned and realized that if you can think it in your head, you can make it with your camera, but I never wanted my camera to take that, you know, primary role, you know, and decide, what I could do and what I, what I couldn't do. And that was, I learned a lot about that with Mark. I mean, you could really hold your camera up and you had a vision in your head of what you wanted and you could take these uh, singular shots and piece them together and make this image that you had in your head, you know, through focus stack of stacking through, uh, um, um, uh, focus, oh, no way, but focal length. Uh, stacking focal length but yeah uh, yeah blending <laughs> yeah I mean and and all kinds of other stuff that you could you know you 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 what you do for night photography you you shoot for the for the um, land and then you shoot for the sky and you sit and you wait in between and don't move your camera the same thing could happen if you have a lousy sky and you see one cloud develop and you just sit there for three hours and you wait for more clouds to fly through and then you photograph those and then you combine them later and photograph to give yourself a better sky. I would rather do that than pop in a fake sky from, you know, Colorado when I'm in Florida. 
Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I would never do that. So I've learned all these things that you can do. You know, it's sort of like when you're standing by a lakeside, you have 200 exposures of wave movement and action, you know, and you choose the ones and you don't move your camera. You have the same composition and what you're after is just the action of, you know, uh, the environment of what is going to actually make that composition you know, so strong in what it is. And then you might, you know, take a few of those wave compositions and blend them together in Photoshop. So that's the sort of thing that I've learned um, to be real creative with uh, how I think, what I'm pre-visualizing, how I can bring it to life and how I can use my camera as a tool to do that. I thought it was interesting earlier, you said uh, that you wouldn't put a Florida sky in the Colorado mountains. And I was just curious because, you know, that is a, just another uh, tool that you have at your disposal. If, if all you're after is creativity, I'm curious why you've chose to stop there and not somewhere else. Well, I, I wouldn't, I don't do um, uh, composites. Uh, and I would think that that would be considered a composite. I would rather get everything I need in the field at the time uh, that I am creating this vision that I have in my head. And if that means uh, I want to leave my camera on the tripod uh, from, from, you know, I don't know, eight o'clock in the morning to see if some fog or see if some clouds appear and then start shooting those. To me, it is, uh, I've done it all in the same place in the same, maybe not in the same time, uh, but I don't really see that as a composite. I mean, unless you're saying that when you put everything together that you captured at the same time, at the same place, uh, is a composite. I mean, I don't really see it that way. I, I feel of com composites, uh, I don't know, some people do, I guess. I guess some judges uh, call photo stacking composites. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's I mean, like, definition focus, is a focus little stacking. Right. Yeah, focus stacking. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it depends. Are are you the, the? I mean, this is something we could talk about for like seventy two hours straight. But you know, yeah. I think is, is it a matter of overcoming the technical challenges of the camera, or is it a matter of blending in the perfect moments of time from a single location versus blending in the perfect moments of time from multiple locations? I mean, those are really the distinctions between yeah. those. And I things. would say number two. I want to do everything. I'm not going to blend different atmospheric, atmospheric events that happened somewhere else uh, in another photograph that happened somewhere else. Uh, I'm not going. I'm not going to do anything like that. I'm going to want to just hang out by the, beside Lake McDonald for about three or four hours. You know, start with my foreground, and if I want to focus stack rocks out to one of the mountains, I get that done. And then maybe I sit there for an hour if I want a different sky or hope for fog and I wait for that to come in and then I photograph the mountain and the fog. And uh, so I've got a series of weather changes that I might want to combine together. Um, and I don't always do that because sometimes it never happens, uh, you know. But, uh, and sometimes I... Uh, get all of those things at once. I get atmosphere and fog. And, you know, I, I pay a lot of attention to my uh, apps, my weather apps, and I will plan um, a photo session based on uh, what I think is going to um, produce a lot of fog for me in an early morning uh, or a full moon um, uh, or a, you know, excellent sunrise uh, or or sunset. And I'll, so I'm heavy on being there and light on editing. Uh, but I think it's become pretty commonplace if you want to, unless you're, you know, I think it's become pretty commonplace to do focus stacking if you want to be a couple of inches above uh, your foreground and, and have uh, sharpness from near to far. Uh, oh, for I, sure. I, I mean, yeah, not I everyone can afford a, a 20 millimeter sh tilt shift. Right. That's what, that's the word I was looking for, the tilt shift. Uh, yeah. Uh, nobody can do that. Right. And not, not everybody can do that. So, uh, and I kind of like the process of being creative like that uh, and thinking outside of the box. Um, 
So I hope I answered your question without rambling too much. You did. I mean, it's it's a topic that I could probably talk about for yeah. four years. And well, and- I, I I am very I I like how he pushes me physically, how he pushes me to think outside the box. Uh, I like learning new things. Uh, um, I uh, I like the experience and the adventure. I'm very much into those adventures. And if it hurts, great, <laughs> you know? Uh, and I'll tell you, I did one two August ago in Alaska. Uh, um, I'm not ever doing that one again. <laughs> <laughs> he took us and dropped us off by helicopter on a bunch of different glaciers. And, uh, you know, after a while, I felt, felt as if I had been sentenced to Leavenworth, but, uh, you know, because I was spending a lot of time stacking rocks to secure my tents and carrying rocks and piling rocks. And I thought, have I gone to jail? (laughs) (laughs) You're in photo jail. (laughs) I was like, this feels like Leavenworth. Although I think Leavenworth would have been a lot more enjoyable because I hear they have showers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that was the summer uh, right before that I had, I was actually in Bozeman and you were like on a time crunch to get packed and ready to go on that trip. So that's right. I was. And, you know, I had not spent a significant amount of time sleeping on the ground. Uh, or in a tent or putting up a tent and carrying a 40 pound pack. And then I took this stupid drone of mine that in a duffel bag. So I had this 40 pound pack and then this duffel bag. Then, then we got dropped off at the wrong location for one night or for one of the stays on a, on a, on a particular glacier. So we had to carry all of our junk all the way across the ice field to a location that was a little more protected from the wind. Right. And that was brutal. I'm telling you, I had to take everything out and care and make multiple trips because I couldn't carry uh, everything that far. And I, uh, you know, eventually I got everything over there and then sweated like crazy, hadn't eaten all day and uh, ended up uh, almost getting hypothermia. Oh. Uh, and so Mark, uh, had to take me for a walk and get my core temperature up. And, uh, then my orders were to zip myself up in my sleeping bag, including my head and not come out. <laughs> and That's I good felt, advice. Yeah. And I felt, felt much, much better. I feel, I trust him. I feel very confident that he, he can, he can take care of any emergency. And he certainly took care of me that night. But it was uh, it was a pretty challenging couple of weeks for me, and uh, nothing that I had ever done before. We camped for, for most of the time. We spent a couple of times in hotels. Um, my best friend uh, from Boston, who is also a photographer, who has done some Mark Adamus tours, uh, he went with me. If it had not been for me, for him, uh, I, I'm embarrassed to admit that there was one day. Uh, that I actually cried. (laughs) And he brought me a Snickers bar and I was so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes that's all it takes. I was so exhausted. Oh my God. And and that's what happens to me when I don't get enough sleep and we were not sleeping. Totally. Well, I've definitely been, been through some of those moments myself and I can appreciate how it psychologically it changes you. And I don't know about you, but do you find when you're that physically exhausted that it takes a toll on your ability to be creative? Oh God. Yes. Yeah. I mean, all I really do well is try to break my limbs. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Right. I'm just, I'm careless. I'm clumsy when I'm tired. Um, and, uh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, I think that a couple of my images, I, I screwed up because I, because I was so tired and, and that had happened a few times. The other thing too, is, um, you know, I'm considerably older than a lot of the people that go on his, um, tours. Sure. And, you know, there are many, uh, most of them are guys in their thirties and forties. And, um, the thing that really used to really annoy me is that, in elevation, when I'm climbing in elevation, uh, I'm better now because the the upside to COVID is that I've lost 24 pounds. Yes. So, so I'm raring to go. I sent him an email and I said, hey, you better get me on a, on a trip quick <laughs> before this window closes. <laughs> I, am, I, am, I can carry 24 less pounds up a hillside now because I have an issue with um, 
ascending and uh, getting out of breath really quickly. So I was always, always be the last person to get to the top, which means then you're the last person to find your composition. Right. And then as soon as you throw your tripod up, all of, all of a sudden you hear bellowing from across the flower field. Oh, forget it. It's over. It's done. <laughs> and you're like, I just got here. I just got here. <laughs> well, you know, if you ever want to experience the high country of Colorado um, to, in some really interesting spots, let me know. It's probably just as challenging and just as beautiful. Yeah. And I, and I love to be challenged and I will, I will, uh, I will challenge myself until a bitter end until I'm completely wrung out. Well, cool. Well, let's shift gears a minute and there's probably never going to be a great segue for this particular topic, but, um, I know that, uh, I guess, gosh, now it must be maybe two and a half, three years ago now. No, you got, uh, you nailed it. Two and a half years. Two and a half years ago, you, uh, your husband passed away. And I know that, um, I mean, just based on your posts on social media and things of that nature, I know that, um, it was quite devastating and I couldn't even imagine going through that. Sounds like he was a huge part of your life. Um, I was really curious to hear about, you know, your experience, uh, with grief as of, as an artist and as a photographer and, you know, you know, what role has photography played uh, through your grief process? Um, he died in June, um, 2018, actually. Mm-hmm. And I uh, had some close friends come visit me. We were in our Washington home in the Cascade Mountains. Uh, and I uh, stayed there, um, let's see, from July, August. So two months I stayed there by myself. And I know that a lot of psychologists would say, are you insane? Uh, (laughs) I don't think they'd use that term, would they? No. You maybe should be around some people. I don't know. Yeah. None of them thought that was a good idea. Uh, I had some friends. My sister came and stayed with me for for 10 days. Um, uh, Some uh, mutual friends of Tom's and myself uh, came to see me for um, a few days. And then I just decided I'm hunkering down. I'm going to grieve. I'm going to, I'm going to sit with it. Uh, I'm going to take it in my body. I think he deserved it. He was my biggest fan. He was my soulmate. He was um, such a nurturer and I owe every bit of my professional photography endeavors to Tom who accompanied me to so many locations, so many times to the same places had so much patience and so much support for what I did. He saw a talent and he wanted to nurture it. And he want, and, and he believed in me oftentimes more than I believed in myself. Mm-hmm. And it changes you when you spend time with a person like that, mm-hmm. uh, completely selfless and giving in that regard. And uh, I decided... I'm going to grieve for this guy because he does deserve to be grieved for in this way. I'm going to do the ugly cry. I am going to, I'm going to throw myself on the floor. I'm not going to eat for four days. I did all that. And, uh, I, uh, remember, um, oh gosh, I, there's so many poignant things, uh, that happened to me during that, those two months, uh, I, and I think the most profound was that when something that devastating happens to you, your heart and your soul, you uh, you are an open wound. You are just wide open. And all I wanted was to 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 change certain characteristics about myself, where I had spent a lot of time in my life being standoffish, being shy, being unwelcoming, for a lot of reasons that we do not have enough time in this podcast to cover. Um, and I, that blew out the window so fast. It changed me almost overnight. All I wanted was to love people, to be kind, to be, um, welcoming, to just embrace it all. And, um, it was not until September, uh, well, actually in uh, late August, I took my first trip I had to get out of the house because I was starting to get a little cuckoo. And, you know, 
there's just so much aloneness and uh, grieving for somebody that you thought really deserved it. And I want to tell you, I am, I pride myself on my melodrama. I, and, and this is all, you know, I'm so open. There's nothing I wouldn't tell anybody about my experience. And I think a lot of people have come to understand that about me. Mm-hmm. And I have shared so much of that with my photography tribe on Facebook and they know my journey and they understand what I went through. And I think in a way it has helped a lot of people uh, to be closer in their marriages, to um, uh, try to do better and to really embrace time because it's fleeting. It's gone mm-hmm. before you know it. And um, I, I, I had, <laughs> I was telling my sister, there was one particular day that I just picked up Tom's urn because I haven't had a chance with COVID to go and spread the rest of his ashes where he wants them to be. Mm-hmm. So I, I held on to this urn and just sobbed on it. And these tears came out and, and fell on the top of his urn, <laughs> which is this very simple maple box. And it was soaked in my tears. And then they were, I tell this to my sister and she says, I'm very impressed with your melodrama. <laughs> <laughs> she always can make me laugh. And even in the most terrible moments when you think that your heart has been lamp, you know, just annihilated, you can actually find some humor in it. Uh, She said, and other friends said, you got to have to get your shit together, Perry, and get out of there. Two months is good, but now the walls are closing in and you got to go. So I packed up my bag and went to my favorite place. I went to the Canadian Rockies. I went to Banff. I saw Danny, my friend, and I I saw Susan Walker Bell, my friend there, and Teresa was there on a tour uh, and met some other people. I got to hike. I stayed at Moraine Lake. I stayed at the Post Hotel. I stayed at some of my favorite places. I hiked. I canoed. I thought and 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 had a lot of deep thinking. Um, I think that I was numb. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was numb. I, I, I don't know how I could be in a place where he and I had been at least 30 times before. And that was my biggest fear was how am I going to go to all these places that I love, that we love, that I went to with him for, for, you know, 15, 20 years and not fall to pieces in front of Bo Lake and just have a tantrum. How's that not going to happen? But it didn't. And I, I did a lot of good photography there. One of my photographs I did while I was on that trip actually won third place in outdoor photography's Nature's Colors, uh, which was the picture of the white moths that were dead on top of the um, uh, yellow aspen leaves floating in a little um, pool of water. That sounds awesome. Um, I, I would never have seen that photograph. Uh, I was very introspective during that time. I was very, uh, I was so sad. I was moving slow. I was seeing lots of details. Um, uh, I don't know why. Uh, um, I, I was looking down. I was uh, walking up the um, Flathead River and uh, along the shoreline. And I saw this thing and I, and I took it. And when I looked at it later, I thought it was very poignant because it really talked about the cycle of life. And well, I had just experienced the cycle of life personally. Mm-hmm. And so there was a real emotional connection. And I say that my grief and my emotional uh, uh, availability enabled me to slow down, be introspective in the field and see these small scenes that I might under ordinary circumstances have walked right past. Right. Um, And I was looking for things that were entirely different, much smaller scale than my grand landscapes. And uh, I did, I really then also became very involved in trying to communicate how I was feeling inside. So a lot of those photographs taken during that time involve a lot of fog. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. A lot of fog, a lot of drama, um, a lot of my editing even got a little bit dark too. Mm -hmm. And um, 
yeah, it, it, it opened my mind. Uh, the grief opened my mind to other avenues and aspects of shooting, of seeing, um, and of post-processing. Uh, I definitely think that if you were to look at my images for a decade up until that time, and then maybe, uh, you know, a couple of years later, you would say, what happened there? What happened in this little window here? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think there was a, a profound uh, difference. And now I'm sort of hanging on to that as a learning curve to move forward to sort of shift my work in other ways. And I have gotten, a, and I have gone from the grand landscape, landscape to more intimate scenes that show more of that growth, mm -hmm. uh, where I'm relying more on patterns, strong aspects to an image in a smaller scene uh, with color shapes, um, um, you know, uh, all the things that we know make strong images. Um, yeah, I think I know the answer to this question, but it, it seems as though that, um, you know, having gone through this and seeing where it's taken your photography, it sounds like uh, you actually are benefiting significantly from this shift and are actually in, uh, enjoying kind of this new world that you're finding yourself in in some ways. Oh, uh, yeah. And I was at the height of that exploration when COVID happened. And so now, <laughs> Perfect. You know, I know. And so now I'm a little nervous. I'm going back out there and I'm not going to, I'm not going to see the same way. I'm not going to feel the same way, uh, you know, and it will be all for naught. And, you know, I, 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 I refuse to believe that because the loss of a loved one as close as Tom and I were, that stays with you forever. That is now in your, in my DNA. It is now, uh, um, changed me and I'm not, I'm, you know, and I'm not going to change back. I can't take what happened back. So, uh, I think that, you know, I'm confident that I'll go back and still feel that because I still, I still miss him. I still, I still yearn for him. I still love him, you know, dearly. None of those things went away. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see what the future has to hold. But I think that, you know, I didn't, I never really put my camera down until COVID the last time. I mean, the whole time I was grieving, I continued to take pictures. I continued to take trips. Mm -hmm. I spent time on the California coast. I went to all the places where Tom and I used to go. Um, it was sad, but in the same respect, it lifted me up. And I'll say, I, and I think it's because um, I wanted to honor him in such a way uh, that he would be proud of me. And that was so important to me that he be proud of me. I would never have wanted to disappoint him. Hmm. And he would have been so sad if he thought that his illness and subsequent death derailed. I mean, it seems ridiculous. You know, how can you measure someone's health and death to photography? But he knew that photography was my soul. It was my creative being. It was something that I, that I um, was good at. It defined who I was. Because a lot of times people say, well, my work doesn't define me. I'm so much more than that. My photography defined me. It was the essence of everything I felt inside that I could project out and show people this is how I felt in that moment. It was a way to share, to communicate. Mm -hmm. And I would never, he would have been so sad if he thought that, that, that losing him would have derailed that forever. So I could not put my camera down. I wouldn't. Yeah. It seems, the, it seems that, you know, since you embarked on this journey and your goal was to be published and be award-winning, it seems that now in hindsight and now having gone through this experience that that your photography has even more purpose for you it does absolutely and and now what i want to do is um i've had some offers to work for uh so some photo uh tour companies after covid hmm. uh to teach other people and to spend time in the field with other people and um, I used to think that sounded like drudgery. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not, it's not easy. 
Yeah. I mean, well, it, but, but trust me, what I was doing wasn't easy either. My God, sure. I mean, you know, going into those extreme conditions in the winter and freezing and laying in water and hiking for five miles with packs on. I mean, we all know what that's like. It's not easy. Absolutely. It's certainly not glamorous. Uh, you know, not hanging out in, on Alaskan glaciers without a shower for 10 days. You know, it's not great, but okay. <laughs> all right. Because everybody else smells bad too. <laughs> right. Well, so I, I, I do have a new sense and a new depth to me. I, I definitely have a new depth to me that I think that can be illustrated in photographs. Hmm. Well, I'm excited to see where that takes your work. Yeah, I am too. Yeah. I am too. So I, I have decided I had a sprinter uh, van uh, that I was going to take all over last summer. Uh, it was uh, out, it was um, built for um, uh, an R it's an RV sprinter. Okay. Sure. And geez. And um, I, it developed some mechanical issues and I had to send it back to uh, the people who, um, I bought it from, and uh, I am. I got one in production right now that should be ready by um, mid, probably late 2021. Um, it's going to be four wheel, four by four. I'm going to be able to take it off road. Um, it's going to be totally utilitarian. There's going to be no fancy stuff in there. No curtains. No granite. Nah. Rubber floors, kayaks, bikes, camera gear out the wazoo, and and my little zinny, my uh, my dog. <laughs> <laughs> And we're gonna we're gonna go slay the countryside, and uh, I'm gonna get a vaccine, and I'm going to go for it, and we'll see what I produce. Oh, I, I think I think you're in for the best photography of your career. I hope so. That's yeah. what I'm hoping. That's what I'm hoping for. I don't think that I have reached my prime. I don't know if any of us ever do. No, I was gonna say like I hope I don't ever. No, I always feel I, like there's more. Even yeah. if my photos don't get better, I feel like there's always more. <laughs> and then like what happened to me, you know, uh, uh, you know, tragedies happen or, you know, maybe other things happen that, that add a dimension to you that, that change you in some way and you benefit in some way, you know, uh, and I would say to other people who are photographers who suffer great loss, uh, you know, you're going to get through it. And if your love for your craft is strong enough, you're going to pick that up again and perhaps see a whole new side. You know, there are silver linings in a lot of sad, uh, sad things that happen to people. And I choose to hold on to my silver linings because there were plenty. It was an awful, terrible thing, but I, I am grateful, more grateful uh, than I ever was before I lost Tom. Well, I was always I was always grateful for him, but boy, I can tell you, yeah, I'm grateful for a lot. I'm grateful for all, for all you guys and how you held me up when I couldn't carry myself. Well, I'm, I'm just appreciative of how open you are to sharing your experience and letting other people see that, you know, even in the worst of times, it can lead to some of the best of times. So I think yeah. that's really cool to see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm actually glad that we were able to do this a little bit later than we had originally planned because I think perhaps now you have s some different perspective about it. I do. Yeah. I, I think that it would have been too early uh, because I don't think I even knew these things, uh, you know, until much until much later on when I could really reflect back on how these two and a half years have been. Uh, but I'm going to be leaving Bozeman uh, as soon as I can. <laughs> <laughs> And going back to Missoula, because Missoula is where Tom and I lived for six years together. Uh, I want to get into the foothills and have some space. And uh, I want to be closer to Glacier and closer to other friends and family. It's the closest place that feels like home to me out west. Sure. Um, and that's because of my experience living there with him. And uh, uh, I didn't... Uh, I didn't really know where home was. I kind of lost my compass when he left. And uh, so uh, I knew that Bozeman would be transitional. Right. And uh, so now, once again, he always referred to me as a baby bird leaving the nest. <laughs> <laughs> because I was such a late bloomer in life with everything I did. And uh, here I go again. I'm about to leave the nest. I love it. 
Well, I think I saw on LinkedIn that you're teaching some private one-on-one workshops. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Tell us a little bit about that. So I will take friends, uh, friends of friends, uh, sometimes to a place of their choice that I've never been before. And I I haven't done it. Uh, I did it a couple times uh, in the beginning of COVID. We went to the Tetons, we went to the Yellowstone, and we went to Glacier. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we just did, we do simple things. It isn't, it isn't the gun, the, the, um, uh, the Mark Adams show. No, it's not that. <laughs> and it's not it's it's not the shotgun effect where you go and you do, you know, a hundred you, you do a you get a thousand images in two days. Right. You know, it is we find a couple, three places, we focus, we talk about what they want to learn, we focus on that learning. Yeah. Um and uh it's just a good time and uh I enjoy it and I and they're very small. It's either one person or two people or maybe three. But that's all I do. That's beautiful. Uh, I, I don't, yeah, I don't want to do a big um, circus of people that I can't keep track of. I, I don't have the attention span. I will lose clients. <laughs> right. Where did Tim go? I don't know. He's <laughs> probably dead now. We don't know. <laughs> so I do, I do what I'm capable of doing. And, and then I'm going to let uh, other people... Uh, run their companies, uh, work through the bureaucratic red tape to get their permits and everything, and then invite me along to uh, teach for them. I like it. I think that's awesome. Well, so wrapping up, I'm curious, who would you recommend that we, uh, that our listeners check out and that we have here on the podcast? Matt Bishop. Tell us about Mr. Bishop. I think he and I just had a conversation on Instagram a couple nights ago, actually. I don't know. I just, I love the guy's work. And, you know, I, I, I wish I had had more time. Every time I see his work, I go, whoa, who, who's, whose work is that? Let me look, you know, because I'm a big, I still study photography from everybody still. And um, I, I continue. And now I'm sort of um, being able to spot it. I just, I love it. I love his work. I think he's really good. And he's a very nice guy. Yeah. And I think based on the conversation I had with him, he's very, into like single exposure, like everything in camera, which is very cool. Yeah. And you know, uh, I, and so that is okay. Single exposure, I think is, you know, that's not easy when you want to do all of these fancy things like get, you know, uh, sharp depth of field. Uh, you want to get, um, uh, you know, do all these things that we're doing by bracketing and, 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 I don't know how you get a pebble two inches from your lens, sharp as a tack, and the tip of the mountain in the distance sharp as a tack in one uh, exposure. Tilt shift. Uh, does he have a tilt shift? I don't know. Uh, That's yeah. the only way I'd know how to do it. Well, I have a tilt shift, and I need somebody to teach me how to use that tilt, tilt shift because I'm getting darn tired of uh, doing the um, um, blending. Totally. I agree. I hate, I hate I, focus stacking. I don't love it because something's always moving. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, and then you, and then, you know, you're, you're just, you're so unhappy in. You well, know, yeah. You, you get home and you're like, I, mm, I hope I got it right. I don't know. Right. So I only, you know, I try, I try to reduce the pain as much as possible and only uh, um, do those uh, things when it's super still, but yeah. you know, when I can benefit the, the most from it. But um uh, I, I really would like to learn how to use, um, my, my lens so that I can, I I'm all about simplifying too. I'm about to get rid of all my Nikon stuff and go Sony and mirrorless and, and lighten my load. And, and, um, I don't do a total, a, a whole lot of post-processing. I do a lot in Lightroom. I'm really good in Lightroom. Sure. And then I will take it into Photoshop and do do some masking, uh, some dodging and burning and stuff like that. But there's not a single action. There's no Tony Krupper, Krupper, Tony Krupper. Tony there's, no Tony, there's no Tony on my Photoshop <laughs> in a work panel. I just, I don't have the mentality for it. Um, uh, and, you know, I don't know. It's, it's great for some people, but I just stay simple. And I, I like the effect that I've created for myself and the workflow works really well for me. So, you know, why, if it ain't broken, why, why? I was change? just going to say, if it's not broken, don't fix it. 
Yep. I exactly. love that. Well, Perry, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, it has. You say that like you're surprised. <laughs> no, I had a great time though. I did too. And I shouldn't have avoided you for almost 12 months. It's totally fine. I, you know, it's no big deal. <laughs> and, and, and it wasn't personal. <laughs> I had a lot going on, as you know. Absolutely. No problem at all. Well, thanks to Perry for joining me on the podcast and for your vulnerability and openness in discussing your loss and how it has impacted you as an artist. I see great things in your future, and I think I can speak for for our listeners when I say keep up the amazing work in your photography. We love it. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can catch more over on Patreon, where Perry and I discuss how the soul needs passions to thrive. Patrons at the $5 a month or higher level can access this and over 150 more bonus episodes. Thanks to our newest patron on Patreon and previous guest, Kristen Ryan. Kristen informed me that she had several women reach out to her after listening to her her episode here and that they were inspired by our conversation to reinvigorate their creative pursuits. How awesome is that? That is the community that I hope to keep fostering through this podcast. Well, do you have any stories about how the podcast has helped you in some way? I'd love to hear about them over on our Facebook group. Lastly, if you're an existing patron on Patreon, feel free to reach out to me at any time for advice, conversation, or anything, really. I'd love to help. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.